Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Everybody, glad you're here. I thank God for you. I want to greet those who are with us online. We love you. If you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, I I fervently believe that God has orchestrated and maneuvered in your life to draw you to this place, to draw you to this moment. He wants to do a powerful, profound work, a deeply personal work in your life. So I'm grateful that you've responded to him. You've caught us in the middle of a teaching series called Battle Ready. And I'll just be real, we all face tough life battles, marital battles, parenting battles, other relational battles, emotional battles, job battles, financial battles. It's like there's no end. Have you ever been in a season, a difficult, challenging season? It just felt like every day was a battle. Maybe you suffered chronic, severe pain, and you didn't know that the battle was ever going to get done. Here's what we're going to find. Though we do have an evil enemy against us, we have a good God who has so provided for us that we win, we dominate in any difficulty of life. Our God is so good. He's at work to our good. And always in the end, we win. Now, my brother maybe didn't feel that way this week. He got hammered in the worst possible way. If you don't know my family, first, I'm Dave Clark. I've been the pastor here for 38 years, but before I came to Beloit, my brother Jerry and I served in the same church. He was a youth minister, I was the associate minister, and we served together for four years. In fact, his family was standing, we lived across the street from each other, and as we drove away to come to Beloit, uh, they were in the front yard kind of waving, heart-wrenching moment. My brother is still in that same church, he's the preaching minister now, and this past Friday, not in this past week, but a Friday ago, I saw on Facebook that three of my friends in that church that I've been friends with for a long, long time, in fact, two of them went to Israel with us the last time. I love these guys. They were in an airplane piloted by one of the men. They were flying out to Montana to a youth ranch to work with troubled kids. And their friends and family, church members, commented or posted on their um, Facebook deal and encourage them, and we're praying for them. We just hope the best for you guys. Be safe. Their plane crashed, and all three men died tragically Friday afternoon. So my brother, Jerry, gets a phone call from the authorities asking if he would contact the three families so that they didn't have to have an unknown police officer show up at their door. And so Jerry swallowed hard and prayed, and and called the families. I can't even imagine uh, how challenging that was. And um, then that evening, he and his wife went to each home and spent time with each family and grieved with them, grieved for themselves. These three guys were a part of G- Jerry's leadership team, and they were his dear friends uh, as well. And so everybody was suffering loss. And so now this past week, I mean, they had to figure out then how to get through Sunday and their Sunday services, because this is a small church. Everybody knew these guys, and it just wrecked the church. So this past week, Jerry had three meetings with three different families to plan funeral services, the visitations, and they don't have a big staff like we do here, and so all of this 
where I might never do a funeral, all of this fell on him. So I did the three funerals and had to get a sermon ready for this morning where he's preaching down in Evansville, Indiana, as I'm preaching with you here. Now, my question for you is, what or who caused this terrible plane crash that three good men simply going to serve in the name of Jesus, troubled young people at a ranch in Montana, what was the cause of the plane crash? Did Satan, did the evil one cause this terrible tragedy? Absolutely not. Never give Satan that much credit. He is evil. He is vile. He lies to you. He lies to me. He is a murderer who tries to destroy our relationships, destroy our lives. He is enraged right now because he knows his time is short. He's destined for hell, and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. He's a thief. He will steal everything from you he can, particularly stuff money cannot buy, your hope, your joy, your peace. But Satan was not the cause of the airplane crash and the loss of these three good men and the heartache that exists in this these families, and now this church. So maybe you wonder, well, you know, if God is large and in charge, would God cause, I mean, was it these guys' time to go? I would say absolutely not. God is not the author of anything hurtful or bad. Our God is always and only absolutely good and ever at work to our good. And you're like, what could be good about three godly men perishing on the way to serve children? I believe that Jesus was in the cockpit with them. I believe that he surrounded them with his love in that fiery crash and that in the instant their eyes closed in death, their, their, inst- their eyes instantaneously opened in the reality and the presence of Jesus in heaven, greeted by those of like precious faith who'd gone on before them. Now they get to do what they love best with those they love most forever in the presence of Jesus. That's how good Jesus is. You see, here's the deal. No tragedy, no tragedy is caused by satanic attack, but all tragedy opens us up to satanic attack. Because when the tragedy occurs, it's like Satan sees us in our vulnerability and like he's got this sharp stick and he tries to puncture and pierce and poke holes in our heart. He wants wants us to leak out our trust in a good and gracious God. He wants to instill and embed doubt and bitterness and a sense of unforgiveness. He wants us to be angry. He's angry. He's getting angrier all the time. But God is ever at work to our good. In fact, Jesus counsels us in this regard because he knows that we're all going to face battles everybody. And so you can either do your building up every day on the inside in your relationship with Jesus and be able to stand strong and move forward no matter what life throws at you, or you're going to get hammered by a battle. And if you are not built up on the inside, your knees are going to buckle, your shoulders are going to sag, and you're going to get knocked just like life pulls the rug out from under you. And you just go into a topsy-turvy emotional maze. Here's what the Word of God says. Build up. Say, build up. Now, the force of the verb in the text is that it's build up, build up, build up, never stop building up because sooner or later a battle's coming. 
And when you build up, you're battle ready. Build up your strength in relationship. Here's where real strength to handle the struggles of life comes from, a relationship with Jesus. Build up your strength in union with the Lord Jesus and by means of his mighty power. Scripture makes this promise. Your God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within you. Where does his power come from? The power of God's supernatural, undaunted, triumphant comes from your relationship with Jesus. The greater the relationship with Jesus, the greater the power of God at work in your life. And I'm talking every aspect of your life, in your health, in your emotions, in your finances, in your relationships. And so Paul, as he writes this, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And he looks at that Roman soldier who is battle ready to do hand-to-hand combat. And he says, here's what you got to do. You got to put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Because number one, Number one, you've got one problem when life goes against you with some hard, hurtful circumstance. But you've got two problems when Satan launches his attack in your vulnerability. You've got to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He's got different ways of coming at you. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So I love you, Packer fans. I congratulate you on your joyous victory, yeah. but, 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 but our battle is against the evil rulers of the unseen world. They're not rulers in this world. They're rulers in the unseen world, and the good news for you, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you've surrendered your life fully to Jesus, Jesus can see into the unseen world. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He knows what's coming into our lives, what we're going to encounter before it even happens so that he can get us battle ready. He sees the onslaught of Satan. He sees the schemes of the evil one, and he knows Here's what I love about him. Here's what I pray over you. Here's what I pray over my kids. Here's what I pray over my life. Here's what I pray over my grandchildren. I know that Satan is going to make a move on me. I know that Satan is going to make a move on you. I know that Satan is going to make a move over our families. And so I pray that God counter moves to his glory, completely dominates and defeats Satan before he can lay a hand on us. If we could go back to that text... A second, please. Those mighty satanic beings, they are, they are mighty. On our own, they're stronger and smarter, more wicked than us. And this is what we have to contend with on an ongoing basis. They never let up. They never take a break. I don't believe they have any power over my life or yours. I believe the worst they can do is blow smoke at us, try to make us afraid, try to get us to worry. All they can do is intimidate us, but our God is greater. Now, if Jesus modeled being battle-ready, what do you think his first approach was to getting himself ready to the worst that evil could do? I mean, before Jesus worked one miracle, before he taught one lesson on love, before he dispensed any of God's wisdom or truth, before he turned water into wine, uh, before he walked on water, before he healed one sick person or, or fed thousands of hungry people, what was the one thing Jesus did 
to get battle ready. Jesus got battle ready by getting baptized. Because he was going to immediately after his baptism, Scripture says he came up out of the water praying. And God the Father spoke over, Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In fact, um, the five people who've already been baptized this weekend, I believe God spoke that over their souls, that you are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I've been praying that you would be baptized today. I'm talking about you guys. And that you would have the privilege of God speaking over your soul. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended on Jesus. Well, as soon as that happened, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he goes one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat with Satan, and he fought Satan off with the full armor of God. Now, this Satan that fought Jesus and that fights us, did you know that he was the preeminent, most beautiful, most brilliant of all God's creation? Here's how I know that from the Word of God. Scripture challenges. This is God speaking to Satan. How you've fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. That was his name, morning star. You've been thrown down to earth. Thanks a lot, Lord. You said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's throne. The bright morning star, he was ambitious, he was arrogant, he was rebellious, and he led a revolt against the throne of God with one-third of heaven's angels. It wasn't even a fight. He says, I will preside over everyone and everything. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, dude, down to the lowest depths. So he was, did you notice that three times God reminds Satan, you said, I will, I will, I will. God's like, no, you won't. How many times did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the hours preceding his execution on a cross, how many times did Jesus say, not my will, but yours be done? I I think this is the key secret to winning in every difficult situation and being battle ready in our marriage, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. In our parenting, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. In our finances, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. In our emotions, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Where Satan failed and lost and was destined to doom. Jesus was absolutely victorious. He suffered the cross, but on the third day, he rose from the dead and now makes that resurrection unstoppable, all triumphant, all conquering power available to us. I pray for it every night with my Debbie. I pray for it for my children and my grandchildren, for our marriage, for you, for my preaching. I want it to be in the supernatural power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, here's how it happened. There was a war in heaven between Satan and God. There was a war in heaven. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. It wasn't even a fight. The dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven, driven from heaven in a moment, in a blink of an eye. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, 
I'm in the whole world and so are you. I've been deceived by Satan. You've been deceived by Satan. That's not why I'm a Bears fan. Though it feels that way right now. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all his angels, a third of the angels in heaven. And that's what we've got to contend with every day as they lie to our thinking, as they scheme against how we feel our hearts, as they try to destroy our lives, our relationships, and steal from us joy and peace and hope and lead us into despair and disappointment and worry and fear. But if you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus, this is a part of the joy I felt as I watched Ray baptize people last night and a young woman this morning. I mean, that girl, she came up out of the water different. I've known her for years. She came and threw her arms around me. The joy was overflowing. And here's the deal. Here's what she knows now. I could tell it to her to her face. You belong to God. You are in his hands and nothing and nobody, not a plane crash, not cancer, not drugs, not alcohol. No one can snatch you from the hand of God. You belong to God. Here's the deal. You've already won the victory. A plane crash can't kill you. Cancer can't kill you. A car wreck can't kill you. Because you've already won the victory. You don't have to fight for victory in your marriage. You've already won the victory and you fight from victory. There is someone in your heart, someone, capital S, Jesus, in your heart who is stronger than any and all evil. You don't have to be afraid of the evil one. You don't have to be intimidated by the evil one. You've got Jesus on the inside, and when you speak Jesus on the outside, the devil has no choice but to flee you. And so the apostle Paul writes, looking at that Roman soldier in his dungeon cell, he writes, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth. Remember when I had that big belt up here? Symbolized strengthening your core because that makes everything in life easier. You understand the Bible more readily. Your prayers are more powerful. The body armor, remember when I had that bulletproof vest on? If you haven't heard those messages, you might want to go on our website and listen to them. The body armor, get this, of God's righteousness. Not yours, not mine. We're not that good. In fact, nobody's perfect. Everybody, we are all sinners. Bible says there is none that is righteous. So how can we put on God's righteousness? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, if you surrender to that reality that he died for your sins, he was made to be your sin, and in that moment, that you surrender to him, you were made to be the righteousness of God. You were made perfect by Christ. It's a gift. Perfection, righteousness are gifts to be opened and enjoyed. That's how God sees you now because of the work of Christ on the cross. For shoes. Paul looked down at the combat boots that Roman soldier was wearing. Now, shoes are essential, and the bears weren't wearing any. Thursday night. No, here's, here's the deal with shoes. Shoes in combat give you traction so that when you accept the blows of an, opponent, of an opponent, it doesn't knock you sideways, doesn't knock you off your feet, doesn't knock you off track. You in, embrace the blow, but, but, but shoes give you more than traction. They give you leverage so that not only do you absorb the blow, and life gives you some hard blows, but you take your opponent to the ground and defeat him. That's what shoes do. And look at the power of shoes. 
Put on the peace. It's the peace of God that gives you traction. So you can handle the hard stuff in life. It's the peace of God that gives you leverage so you can defeat the hard stuff of life. Now, I've had panic attacks. Maybe many of you have as well. I, t- I tell you what I've learned through my relationship with Jesus. I would rather enjoy a peace ambush than a panic attack any time. Just out of nowhere. I'm surrounded. I'm inundated. I'm flooded with the peace of God that passes all understanding. That guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Have you ever made decisions based on worry, fear, anxiety, or panic, and they were the worst possible decisions? Have you ever made decisions out of peace? You just stand back, you're chill, you're resting in Jesus, you're trusting that he's at work to your good. Peace is everything. Peace helps you win. Peace gets you battle ready. For shoes put on the peace that comes, how do you get it? Believing, surrendering to the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The good news is this. Christ died for your sins, was buried because he was fully physically dead and was pointing to your death. I mean, you got a past. you got to put your past behind you. you got baggage that needs to be buried. You have sins that need to be washed away. You, you have guilt and shame that needs to be thoroughly cleansed from your heart and mind. That's what happens in baptism. The burial of Jesus was pointing to your burial in the water. And God raised him from the dead. And God even now dispenses. We can live in the supernatural, what the Bible calls the incomparably great power by which Jesus was raised from the dead. That power is mine. That can be for my finances and my family and my friendships, my ministry. It can be for you and your life, every aspect. He makes it available. He paid the price on the cross. And then he says, what I've won is what you get. I give my victory to you. You see, the ultimate good news The ultimate good news is this, when you fully surrender, not believe in Jesus, because you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States, belief is just intellectual agreement or assent, but surrender is everything. When you surrender to Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead, you trigger the release of the supernatural power of God that changes everything and restores you to God's best version of you. And when life is hard and when life hurts, God's got a best version of you to endure, to embrace, to dominate the hurt and the hardness and the harshness of life. So the Apostle Paul then says, take up the shield of faith. Now the point is that your faith will shield your heart from the evil one. What does it say? Fiery darts in the Bible, the, the term fire is a, a, as a symbol of judgment. When your heart is not shielded by faith, you let, you let loose of your faith and you become judgmental. You'll judge yourself harshly. How could I have done that? I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Man, if I just looked better, I would be more dear, dearly loved. If I was just a, a nicer person, I would have... That's judging yourself, and that happens when you let go of your faith. But also, you can judge God. Hey, if God is so good, why didn't he? If God is so good, won't he? And when you let go of your faith, you surrender to Jesus, you judge other people. You judge them by the color of their skin. You judge them by their different political affiliation. You 
You judge them by the kind of car they drive or the clothes they wear. But when you, when you got your faith up over your heart, your heart won't judge yourself. Your heart won't judge God. Satan has no, Satan has no way to win over your faith. Scripture goes on to say that we are to put on the helmet of salvation because it's not just our hearts. I hope I don't mess up my hair. It's not just our hearts that need to be protected from the vile works of the evil one. It's our minds that will buy into his lies so we wear the helmet that saves us from the schemes of the evil one. Um, and then the sword of the Spirit. Now, a, a Roman soldier's sword, they used a short sword because it was meant to be used in hand-to-hand combat, close quarters, up close and personal. And Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, if you've noticed, the, the belt, the under armor, the bulletproof vest, the body armor, the shield and the helmet are defensive weaponry, defensive, but the sword is offensive. You go on the attack, it's so personal that you open the Word of God and you read it. And if we read the same Scripture, Bob and Tina may read the same Scripture that I do, but God speaks uniquely and personally into their lives and then will speak a different and but equally personal message into mine. Same is true for each of you. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it deals personally our greatest weapon to get our hope back and to get our joy back and to get our love back, to get our lives back, is to use the Word of God. Um, I want to share with you a story um, that I received this week. It goes like this. The day was September 1st, 2018. Forecast for that day called for severe thunderstorms from sunup to sundown. Uh, we, uh, her name is Erin, her husband's name is Norris, we will never forget this fact because this was the day of our vow renewal ceremony and their vows needed to be renewed. When we were married the first time, we rushed to the courthouse early on a Thursday morning and squeezed in a legal marriage before our oldest daughter would be born. Needless to say, uh, we were reckless and lived by our own standards. Our marriage continued to be one storm after another. Before we knew it, we were rushing back to the courthouse, only this time with divorce papers. Legal separation was approved and our marriage was over. During our nights alone and apart from each other. Little did we know, we were both pouring out our hearts to God, asking Him the same questions. What now? Lord, what are you doing? We both studied our Bibles, the sword of the Spirit. We both studied our Bibles every chance we got, seeking answers from God one sentence at a time. And after a while, we felt the change that was happening in us. Everything was different from the way we communicated with each other to the way we were handling life itself. We decided not to rush, but to listen, to listen to God. And we found that marriage is not something to be taken lightly or to gamble over. Last year, God calmed the storm in our marriage. He worked something out in our relationship that is even more beautiful than anything we could ever try to accomplish on our own. Ever since that day, Norris 
wanted to be baptized. Months passed, and Aaron, that's the wife, says to Norris, I I feel like I should be baptized again. And what if we did it together? And, And this was not something that I ever thought about having done because I was baptized as a teenager. But Norris's response is what showed me the Holy Spirit was at work in our relationship. He said, I've been waiting for you to say that. The realization that both of us were having the same thought about our baptisms without us talking about it was a big sign that God's hand was now in our marriage. Let's show them. There they are. The day we were baptized could not have been more perfect. We didn't realize the new series was Battle Ready. We kept nudging each other throughout the service saying, this is spot on for us. And after our baptism, man, the Holy Spirit was and is all around. God calmed our storms. And while we were at our darkest, he made his presence real and his mercy. I thank God for those guys. That brings me back to the baptism of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was baptized? I mean, I can understand me. I'm rotten to the core. I've been baptized three times. That's how bad I am. I can understand you. Some of you, I had to baptize you so long you blew bubbles. I can understand why we need to be baptized. We have a past. We have baggage that needs to be buried. We have sins that need to be washed away. We have guilt and shame from which we need to be cleansed fully and freely. But why Jesus? Um, Jesus walked 70 miles to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. I just can't help but think that on that trek, 70 miles, uh, every day he prayed to God. And he gets to John the Baptist down by the Dead Sea on the other side of the Jordan in what was called Bethany beyond the Jordan. And he wades out into the murky depths of the Jordan River. And John the Baptist sees him and says, I know you. You're my cousin. I know who you really are. If anybody baptized somebody today, you should baptize me. Here's what Jesus said. Please do this, John, for I must do all that is right. Jesus is 30 years old, about my age at this moment. (laughs) In those 30 years, he had never said a sin. He had never thought a sin. He had done no sin. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He is absolutely sinless. But it's right for him to be baptized. If it's right for a sinless Jesus to be baptized, what excuse would I ever have? What obstacle could I ever throw up to resist God's call in my life to be baptized? Here's why Jesus was baptized, and here's why I'll call you to be baptized today. Baptism is a turning point in one's life. It's a defining moment. Previous to the baptism of Jesus, John would have introduced him to an audience. This is Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter, my cousin. But after his baptism, John would introduce him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Something changed by the baptism. Now Jesus is on a mission. Now Jesus, his life is full of purpose. Now he is going to be used by his Father in heaven, wielded boldly to the glory of God. There would be an execution and there would be a resurrection, and the power of that resurrection would be available to all who surrender to Jesus. It was a defining moment, and your baptism 
is a defining moment, a turning point in your life. Because Scripture says, don't you know, but when you're baptized, you are buried with Jesus. Your sins are washed away. Your past is forgiven. Your, your baggage is buried. You're cleansed of all guilt and shame. But you are raised up out of that watery grave by the supernatural power of God to put your life on a whole new trajectory. Put your relationships on a whole new trajectory. Put your emotions on a whole new trajectory. Everything changes. It's a defining moment. But baptism is also a public expression that now God is first in my life. And I'm I'm not going to be like an undercover private Christian anymore. My faith is a public faith. And I'm going public with my faith. And I'm confessing Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? I will call out your name before my Father and all the angels in heaven when I hear you speak my name in confession. And so whether I baptize you or Ray baptizes you or your mama baptizes you, it's the confession that is the power that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Also, baptism for Jesus and for us It's an act of utter humility. Can you imagine? He's the creator of the universe, but he's allowing his cousin John to put him under the water. He stands in line with a whole line of sinners because God exalts the humble in their marriages, in their finances, exalts them emotionally and mentally, and he opposes the proud. And so when we are baptized. I mean, this was pointing to Jesus on the cross with the utter act of humility, when he is stripped of all his clothing, when he is stripped of all his dignity, and he would die in my place to, as your substitute, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin. Humble people spat on him, people cursed him, but he did it for us knowing full well that three days later God would raise him from the dead and that death-defying supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And finally, baptism does point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You die to your desires, not my will. If you're like Satan, it's all about I will, I will, I will. But when you're like Jesus, you not my will. That screws me up. That gets my marriage in trouble. Not my will, but thine alone. Baptism points to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the unstoppable, triumphant, life-conquering power that is yours through a real relationship with Jesus. So right now, I'm going to invite you to come to Christ and be baptized. To join him in his death, burial, and resurrection and receive his supernatural. Have your sins washed away. Be cleansed of all guilt and shame. Would you stand with me, please? If you are a believer in Jesus who you've already experienced water baptism, believer's baptism, biblical baptism, just like Jesus did, and Jesus wouldn't ask you to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. If that's already been your experience, I want you not to move, but to be in prayer for those around you that may desperately need this spiritual experience. And maybe you're already making excuses. Maybe you're thinking... I don't have a towel. We got towels. We got hundreds of towels. They all say Holiday Inn, but we got lots of towels. Maybe you're worried about how your hair will look when it's wet. We got hair dryers. I'll fluff and foo-foo your hair myself. You know, maybe you're worried about your new iPhone 11 
We got security, and they're armed. If you're concerned about your lesser-valued Samsung, we'll watch it too. If your kids are in kids' works and you're concerned about them, I've already talked to my son, Jake. He says, come back next week and get them. No, there is nothing to prevent you from joining Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, putting your past behind you, burying your baggage, being raised up by the supernatural power of God. Put your life on a whole new trajectory. Let me pray over you, then I'm going to invite you to come. Our Father, right now, would you send the Holy Spirit to be at work in this room? And as you've already drawn others, would you draw those you desire in this room, tear down every defense, wipe away every excuse, Lord, touch them now unmistakably and call them to yourself through Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.